So we got another podcast today, and uh, it's going to be a familiar topic: <clears throat> Democratic infighting. For those of you who've not had the privilege of being an elected official, especially a Democratic elected official in the United States of America, one of the rites of passage that you have to have, and you know, I can't really speak for Republican Party because I've never been a Republican, um, but uh, although I've heard that they do have infighting amongst themselves, um, but the uh, I can speak clearly about the Derek party uh infighting is part of what the democrats do every day um and i say every day because especially as we talk about the democrats in washington the democrats at the national level Everybody that gets there is jockeying for the next step, right? They're trying to put themselves on the national landscape so they can either run for president or run for U.S. senator or be a cabinet member or, you know, make sure that they've got a permanent job after their congressional career is over, right? Whatever, you know, commentating, lobbying, whatever. So... You're, you're going to see a lot of that. But Democrats have always been, even the famous saying from Will Rogers, you know, I don't belong to an organized party. Uh, I'm a Democrat, right? And so we're, we're at this point now where we actually have a major, major spat between um, some of the new members of the uh, House of Representatives and Speaker Pelosi. And it seems as though that now there's been some racial overtones put into it. You know, a lot of people seem to be alarmed by that. Um, Some people took offense to it. From my experience, it is what it is. It's been that way for a long time. Um, In Mississippi, there were fights and they took racial tones with those fights. So it's not uncommon that you will see that at a national level, especially when it's two groups that have been fighting pretty much since the beginning of the session. I don't, I don't know if anybody's claim or counterclaim is um, valid. Um, supposedly, they, they did what they were supposed to do and, and met behind closed doors to kind of hash it out and have a come-to-Jesus meeting, if you will. But the reality is that democratic infighting is, is going to happen. Now, it's taking a different level because we've got a group out there called the Justice Democrats. And they're, they're being defined as young millennial political activists who are trying to reshape the Democratic Party from within and from without, right? 
And so they were behind the campaigns of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Rashida Tlaib, and several other new members, right? Yana Presley. There were a lot of members that they weren't successful with. One of them was very attractive candidate in Missouri named Cori Bush, right, who people thought would have a chance against an established congressman like Lacey Clay, but not so much, right? Um, but she's going after him again. So when you see certain people respond to certain things, that's where the context came comes in. So the most vocal critic of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's comments was Lacey Clay, who knows that Cori Bush is a contemporary of AOC's, right? They, are, they were both recruited by the Justice Democrats. So any chance that Clay will have to bash the Justice Democrats, he's going to do it, right? Because that's where his opposition is coming from. Um, and so the young man, I, I, I'm sorry I can't pronounce his name, but the chief of staff for AOC is one of the founders of the Justice Democrats. And he turned around and said people like Lacey Clay and Terry Sewell from Alabama and all these other folks trying to create this new Southern caucus, uh, you know, are playing the old games of before. And they, and they very well are using the playbook from back in the day. See, what a lot of people forget about is in the late 80s, early 90s, there was a coalition of Democrats called the DLC, the Democratic Leadership conference. Mike Espy was one of those folks, Bill Clinton. A lot of Southern Democrats who were not segregationists by any stretch of imagination. They were more fiscally conservative than anything else, but and they didn't really like being called blue dogs, right? Although there were people that were members of both. But that whole strategy was to create more of a central message for the Democrats to present at a national platform to elect people like Bill Clinton to office, to the presidency, right? And it worked for Bill Clinton. And then after Bill Clinton, that was it. And I think a lot of the issues that President Clinton went through was part of why the DLC kind of folded. And Congressman Espy, who later became Secretary Espy, was embroiled in a controversy that he was able to get out of, but all that was happening and DLC kind of disbanded, right? Because they were like two of the stars of it. And um, and then it didn't work <laughs> to get another member, Al Gore, elected. You know, Bush managed, however you want to look at it, Bush was close enough where Florida decided that he could win the election on the Electoral College, right? Hanging chads, no hanging chads, whatever. The old sports adage is if it's close enough for the referees to call it one way or the other, then you didn't do your job in making that victory secure, right? 
Anyway, so we've seen this movie before with, you know, maybe not with as many African-American Democrats because in the South, pretty much, that's all there are. But um, it's, it's, it's the same kind of pattern as far as trying to create because whenever them, certain Democrats, especially Democrats in Washington, see the party starting to move to its natural progressive, rather, you know, challenge the authority kind of policy decisions and ideas, then there's always a group of Democrats that want to stay the course and keep the White House or get the White House back and not be so radical, right? Um, and so that's, that's really all this is. Not to mention the fact that what we had talked about previously is that the Speaker of the House does not want to have go through an impeachment, period, which is driving the new members, not just those who were just as Democrat-sponsored, but new members, period, who campaigned on health care and all these other bread and butter issues. But the underlying hope was these were the folks that were going to get Donald Trump out. Right. And now they don't see that outlet. They don't see that opportunity get ready to happen. So there's some frustration in that. Right. And then we have an even more conservative wing of the Democratic Party who basically was the real challenge to Speaker Pelosi prior to the new members coming. Um, we saw, you know, we've seen some some of those folks kind of flexing their muscles in the presidential race and not really getting anywhere. Um, but you know, their 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 voice is out there, and you know they're they're trying to rein in Pelosi and the Justice Democrat group because they think all of them are far, far to the left. You know, and even when the Black Caucus kind of gets out there and starts addressing issues dealing with African-Americans, these are the same Democrats that's like, whoa, 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 you know, let's not make it a racial thing, right? And then there's another element to what Lacey did that will kind of catch, I guess, on the flip side, but uh, because I think that's an important kind of discussion to have, too. But, um, yeah, so for those of you who are kind of worried about all of these Democrats running for president, and, and we've seen people starting to drop out now, and you're worried about this public infighting, which Fox News is just having a ball with, right? Uh, especially trying to, even to the point where Donald Trump is defending the honor of Nancy Pelosi. Okay. You know, who would have thought today would have been a day where Donald Trump said Paul Ryan was terrible and Nancy Pelosi doesn't deserve to be criticized? Interesting. Nonetheless. Um, 
Yeah. That's that's no different than you're a Clemson fan and you see that Tua and Nick Saban had an argument at practice. It's not going to mean nothing. Not when it's game time. Not going to mean a thing. It's It happened in practice. That happens all the time. And those folks are, you know, working out that game plan. And when the game comes, they're still going to be Alabama. Right? So, same thing. The Democrats are still going to be the Democrats. They're still going to be pushing for a change in a majority of the Senate. They're still going to be pushing to retain majority of the House. They're going to be pushing in a campaign mode to get a Democratic nominee that can beat Donald Trump without any questions or equivocation, no matter how many trolls the Russians and the North Koreans and the Chinese put out there, right? It's going to be it. That's, that's, that's the ultimate game plan. And all this money that's being accumulated, it's all going to get pushed toward the bigger pie once everything, you know, the wheat separates from the chaff, right? So let's, you know, don't make a big deal out of it. It's entertaining. It's for those of you who've never seen that before, I get it might be a little newsworthy to you, especially certain people that you've never seen vocal like that, especially in an infighting kind of sense. But if you notice, they were pretty cool with it because they've been doing it in their own states. <laughs> you know, they've been fighting people, Democrats in their own states, to get to this point where they're members of Congress. Uh, you know, they they've played a role in certain people getting elected and not elected, whether it's on their state executive committees, state legislatures, whatever case may be. So again, this is nothing new. As the police would say, move along, let me see here, keep it going. And uh, like I said, on the flip side, we'll get back to a more direct challenge, concern, critique, however you want to phrase it, about Lacey Clay chastising Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez or anybody else like her. Be back. Okay, so in coming back, I promised that I wanted to talk a little bit more about Lacey Clay and what he did specifically as it relates to AOC or anybody else um, who is not black or African-American and that feels as though that they're being attacked racially, right? Or they're being discriminated against. <laughs> One of the things that has always been a problem for me and several other people who 
in this regard think like me is that there are there are people that have been in the civil rights movement that have fought for the rights of African Americans and are in leadership positions or whatever who feels that the only people that can be racially discriminated against or be discriminated against, at least rhetoric-wise, is black people. Now, most of us who think logically think that's insane, right? Think that's, that's not a rational argument. But there are people who actually think that. There are people who get upset if any other group says that they've patterned their movement uh, after the civil rights movement. If they feel as though a lot of the things that were discussed, a lot of the tactics that were used, all of that, if any other group claims that, doesn't matter if you're Hispanic, doesn't matter if it's Asian Pacific Islander, doesn't matter if you're a member of the LGBT community, doesn't matter if you're a woman, there are some black people who feel as though they have a patent on being discriminated against and that they have um, they have a right to downplay anybody else is feelings, emotions, sentiments, whatever. And that's where I kind of felt Lacey Clay, other than the fact that he's mad that the people that supported Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez, primarily her chief of staff, um, is pushing his opponent, right? Um, But he, 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 he he took umbrage for AOC saying that Nancy Pelosi plays the race card. Now, I don't think Nancy Pelosi is a racist, right? No, I'm not trying to set her up like Senator Harris set Joe Biden up, right? Vice President Biden. No. I don't think she's racist. I've met her, talked with her, watched how she's operated, watched how she's worked with all members of Congress to try to get legislation passed. And I have said before, and I will say it many other times, probably throughout her life. And my assessment is that she's one of the shrewdest politicians, one of the best navigators of the legislative process in American history. Right. I mean, she became the first woman to be speaker of the house. So, Having said that, and she's done it twice. Having said that, though, she's not a person of color either, right? And so there is always a privilege there. And yes, it's true that women's rights have been challenged and constantly toyed with in a misogynistic sort of way, right? Um, Fueled with money and power. But, nevertheless, she's white. 
And if, if the members of Congress who are new, who are persons of color, feel as though that her attacks on them kind of seem like you're pointing them out because they are persons of color. Now, they also happen to be the most outspoken members of Congress. Nonetheless, they feel as though that she's picking them out, not because they're outspoken, but because they're not white. And they feel some of their white colleagues who feel the same way, who fairly unfairly may not be getting the same kind of media coverage, right? She's not publicly chastising them. So the way Representative Sewell kind of handled it was we had a conversation, needless to say, I don't really necessarily have to defend my record in Alabama, but we had that conversation in-house, right? So she tried to temper it. Now, she may have felt the same way. She may have been just as angry as Lacey Clay. She should and I don't know if they're running, trying to run somebody down in Alabama against her or not. I have not heard that. She seems to be pretty respected, especially among all the female members, new members, older members, whatever. So she was more tempered with it. And I think her being from Alabama, maybe she's kind of sensitive to what I'm about to say. But the northern black folks, and I'm going to just be straight up. Lacey, your daddy was a congressman, so you're a legacy congressman, right? Just like Harold Ford Jr., his daddy, was a, he was a legacy congressman, right? You know, we've seen that movie before. So when things are thrust upon you, you have to respond to it, right? So your daddy founded the Black Caucus, or was one of the founders, right? But you're a beneficiary of that. So your struggle wasn't the same as these new members who came in, right? They didn't have to beat incumbent congressmen to get in, in their party or in the general, right? They didn't have to, you didn't have to do that. All you had to do was say, Dad's stepping down, I'm stepping in, you're in there, right? So, you know, and then when Ferguson happened, right, the reason why you actually have an opponent is because when Ferguson happened, that young lady, Miss Bush, was out there. You were not. Whatever your reason is, don't care, right? But just like how Vice President Biden had to answer that question from Senator Harris, you got to answer that question in your district. And you've done it once, so I think you can handle that, right? Or maybe you didn't really do it. You just relied on the fact that people have been voting Clay for 40 years, right? So when I say to you, maybe you shouldn't have been the one to try to say who can play the race card and who can't. then I'm, I'm calling you out on that. I don't think you should have been the one to have been vocal. Now, you're an American. You have a First Amendment right 
do whatever you want to, right? Just like maybe I'm not the person to tell you that you shouldn't have said it. But since I'm somebody that's knew your dad, at least had the privilege of talking to him on a not so formal occasion, right? And his contemporaries, uh, having had a privilege of being a DNC member, having had a privilege of being an elected official, having had a privilege of being a statewide Democratic nominee, having had a privilege of being on the Democratic Executive Committee, and having had the privilege of being a black man in America for 54 years. You weren't the one that was supposed to say that about anybody else. And, and, and if anybody else feels as though that they're being discriminated against, then you have to respect that, investigate that, and figure out if that is true, not true. And especially if it's somebody that is on your team, you got to work that out. You cannot be out there doing the work of other people, right? Because there's a whole group of folks on the other side of the aisle that want to see you clown, just like that. Especially somebody that's been there. You grew up in the building. So of all the people that should have maybe had the tact that Representative Sewell had and said, yeah, we talked about that at our come to I mean at our regular meeting, at our caucus meeting. The speaker said, we talked about it at our caucus meeting. But you had the audacity to say that she doesn't matter if it's AOC, doesn't matter if it's Tlaib, doesn't matter if it's Oman, doesn't matter if it she had no right to play the race card. That's not your call. And there are a lot of black people like you who try to make that call. Stop. Stop trying to say, now, if you're challenging a white person like, uh, what was that, the Baki decision, where it was like they, they created this new thing about reverse discrimination, right? Like, all of a sudden, black people took possession of every institution that, committed racist act as America and we were installing the same racism that affected us. If you want to call BS on that, knock yourself out. Right? I think it doesn't matter what education, political level, whatever, I think all black people kind of feel that way. Yes, even the most conservative. I would say Herman Cain will look at certain situations and say, yeah, you can't say reverse racism on that. Right? But if somebody feels as though that they're being discriminated against and you're a black man in the United States of America and these other folks that are making the claim are persons of color, then no matter, I don't care what title you have, that's not your call. And it's insulting to not only people who you objected that criticism to, but the communities that they represent. And, to be honest, the people whose shoulders that you're supposed to be standing on, including your dad's. Now, your dad would stick up for you no matter what. Everybody's dad sticks up for him. 
Everybody's mom sticks up for him, right? But as far as the work that was done by people like your dad, and Charles Diggs, and John Conyers, and Shirley Chisholm, and Adam Clayton Powell, and, and just on and on and on, these guys who broke those barriers, the people that had to sit by themselves, like Oscar DePriest, the black man who came during Reconstruction, the first real black caucus, right? What you what you did, whether it was purely political in your mindset or purely from a point of entitlement in your mindset, was wrong to do. And we, collectively as black people, have to be careful about that, right? And we have to be careful about how we manipulate race. Because if there's anybody that has played race cards, it's it's been us. You know. Now, if, again, in a card game, if you've been dealt that card, you've got to play it. Right? But if you're trying to start a game, you might want to find out if the circumstances warrant that race card to be played, that game of racial spades to be played, right? And 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 once you do that, I think we're at a point now where we can better gauge whether we should knock on the door and come in or should we kick it in, right? I think we've evolved to that point. But Respect other people of color when they say they got a problem with how they're treated. And black people's opinions, concerns, whatever, will be respected in return. Until next time.